This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. No special announcements or anything, so let's jump right in. First up, the Wii and GameCube versions of the 240p test suite have just gotten a new update that integrates all of the things that, or most of the things at least, that the other versions have gotten over the past few years. This is the first update since 2016, and so this one really gets a lot. This is a big upgrade because of all the stuff that was worked on from the other versions. You know, if you rely on this as much as I do, definitely download it immediately. But it gets the monoscope pattern, the Donna artwork by Jose, uh, the HCFR stuff, MD Fourier, which is so cool to be able to test audio on this as well. And it even gets Pinot Batch's test suite transfer via the link cable. So you could test the GameCube GBA link cable stuff, which is really cool. Artemio took the time to write out the description of what each of these improvements and features do. So you'd be able to kind of just go through and, and understand what each of these additions are. And also, Artemio is going to be working on creating a controller test for these and also adding support for other peripherals. So by no means is this going to be the last update for the 240p test suite. So as always, thanks so much to Artemio, the team, and everybody else who contributes to this because it is just an invaluable piece of test software for everybody. It's not just modders and testers and reviewers. Even you need to troubleshoot stuff or if you just want to make sure that the geometry on your TV is sort of centered enough, then this is absolutely the way to go. So as always, if you are a fan of this stuff, please consider supporting. Um, the Itch.io link is right there. They also have a Patreon, but it's also always free. So if you want to just download it and try it and use it, just go right ahead. So uh, thanks to the team again, and I'm looking forward to trying this out on both platforms. Next up, Firebrandx recently posted a video that shows you how to dial in custom profiles on the upcoming RetroTINK 4K. Now, I need to be very clear about this. You do not need to do any of this. FBX's profiles are going to come with it. All you need to do is just navigate to a folder and click on a file. That's it. You don't need to do anything else at all, period. There's so many people that seem to misunderstand and think that you need to do this in order to use something like the OSSC or the Tink 4K, and it's just not the case. You just plug in your consoles and go if that's how you want to do it. But if you also want to use custom profiles, I would strongly suggest trying those out and just start with the ones that are already there. And then if there isn't a profile available for your console or arcade board, check out FBX's video and see if it's something that you want to do. It's a pain. Not everybody's going to want to go through that. I completely understand. That's totally fine. But there are many of us that do and that enjoy going through and doing stuff like this. 
And because of the way profiles are loaded on the Tink 4K, just a file on an SD card, it's super easy to share these with others. So if you're somebody who wants to contribute back to the scene and you're getting a retro Tink 4K, maybe watch this video as a primer and then watch it again once you get it, and we could just start sharing profiles and stuff. But as much as I absolutely appreciate all of FBX's hard work, I just want to say one more time, you don't have to do this. It's so frustrating seeing the comments of people like, that's too complicated. Why would anybody spend money on that? It's as complicated as setting an input and your output resolution. That's it. You could do this stuff if you choose to, and I know a lot of my fellow nerds will, but you don't have to. So as always, thank you so much to FBX for going through all the trouble of doing this. It really is saving each and every one of us so much time. And I have been testing more consoles with the FBX profiles, and I haven't needed to set phase yet. And on top of that, sometimes when I try to do the auto phase, it actually threw it off a little more. So Unlike the OSSC, where you really do have to dial in every single console, not throwing shade, I love my OSSC, it just, it was amazing for its time, and now the way that the RT4K works, you most of the time should just be able to load your profile and not dial anything else in, just load that profile and go. So very exciting to see this stuff start to uh, start to spill out. Super excited for the launch of the RT4K. No hard dates for that yet, though. So uh, as soon as there is, you could bet I will put a post up in a social media post the moment there's any info. But for now, at least you know what to expect if you're a tinkerer. And if not, don't worry about it. Just plug in your console and turn it on. The developer Infidelity has been posting beta versions of the Metroid NES to SNES conversion up on his Patreon page. It should be available for the public very soon, but this is absolutely awesome. I played through it and I left the link to the live stream. I'm terrible at Metroid, so just keep that in mind. But I also really just wanted to concentrate on seeing if there was slowdown, uh, seeing how it looked and sounded, and checking out some of the new stuff that the developer Infidelity has already added. Like, you could still press select to enable missiles, but if you just want a quick missile shot, just hold down the R trigger, and then when you let go of the R trigger, then it just goes back to being the normal shot. So it's just awesome. Uh, I really, uh, I, you know, if you haven't had a chance to try this yet, I just strongly suggest downloading any of the previous ones, DuckTales, Zelda, Mega Man 2, and Mega Man 4, and trying it out. Pick whichever game you're most familiar with, because I think you're just going to find that it's so much smoother. And I know a lot of people still don't quite get why you would want to do this. Um, the short version is just being able to add SNES-related enhancements, reducing sprite uh, flicker, and reducing slowdown. I kind of ranted about this a while back, so if uh, the link is in the description here if you want to see the, the full discussion as to why this is so important. But honestly, these things are awesome. And now I can't wait to see what comes next because I really want to see the amazing devs in the Metroid construction scene take this and start adding stuff to it. I would love to see a menu. So you hit start and then the menu comes up. I would love to see when you've already entered a room, it changes color like Super Metroid and any of the other enhancements. The dev said he's working on potential save game support. However, passwords are going to be left in. And I love, I, I love the whole, um, the viewpoint of adding things are, is okay, but don't take anything away. So it's not like he's going to be removing the password feature to add saves, just add saves on top of it. So I just think this is the, some of the best ways you could experience this game because it's essentially the original game just with stuff added that 
if Nintendo had it available to them at the time, they probably would have used it. Like the more buttons on the controller, the faster hardware and everything. So I just, I can't gush enough about this. And as much as I think it's absolutely awesome as is, I really can't wait to see what comes next. There's so many cool things that could be added to this. So um, really just looking forward to the scene, taking it from here. And, uh, you know, just once again, shout out to the developer Infidelity for making these awesome, awesome conversions. I just posted a review of a new SCART switch from the company GamesCare that's an 8-in, 2-out switch. You could use both outputs simultaneously or one at a time, completely safe, and it's both automatic and manual. And the manual mode could be done either by pushing a button on the switch or by using an app on your cell phone or computer and connecting over Wi-Fi. This thing performed absolutely awesome. It is now in my top three picks of favorite SCART switches. There's the G-SCART, this one, and the, the very low-priced retro gaming cables one that still performs awesome. That's the important part. All three of those are by far my favorites. I have all of them linked here. And it's uh, it just performed great. I just um, I, I was very impressed with it. The only thing this doesn't have is any kind of sync stripping signal, which I went into this in the video. I don't think you really need that. Or if you do need that, there's probably other ways you might want to go about doing it. But for whatever reason, if you do need it, you might want to then look into the G-SCART with its sync regeneration, with its auto conversion of sync on green to RGBS. The G-SCART does some pretty amazing things, but if you don't need any of that and you want manual switching as well, or you want an app to control it, then this is another awesome option. Which one would I choose? Whatever fits your needs the best. That's not a cop-out. That's a very honest answer. So if uh, I highly recommend watching the video if you're into it. There are a few things I want to mention um, for my fellow nerds. If you don't care about this stuff, you can move on. But first, there was one screen in the video where I put a comparison of the RGBS signals on a scope. And then after I finally watched the uh, video on my TV, I realized you can't actually see the voltage numbers. And then I thought, well... Rather than make that section longer and bore the people who don't care about this stuff, I just left it in and then I have the picture here in the post. So I figured any of my fellow nerds who really cared enough to zoom in and check out the voltage and the waveforms would probably prefer to do it this way anyway. The only note is that I zoomed in on the green line just to double check the voltage. So that's why if you aren't used to looking at scope plots, that's why there's more square waves on the screen for direct than there are through the game scare switch. It's just a zoom in it was nothing else. Also, I made some kind of mistake on the comparison shot. Now, the important thing is that what I was trying to demonstrate is still spot on in the video. The demonstration was just to say the switch doesn't add any more interference, even if you plug a messy cable next to it that's unshielded. And that is still solid. But once again, I didn't want to go through the trouble of redoing the whole video just to, uh, just to talk to a few fellow nerds that are probably listening here anyway. So I ended up redoing the comparison um, all of it was through the RetroTINK 4K, but the first one, I think I had it in generic mode, and I might have changed a setting or something. So when I redid it, I did it with the FBX profiles on both, and they looked absolutely identical. So I'm not sure why I got any of that haloing around the, the word Mario on the original comparison, but that has nothing to do with the Switch. That was me and my settings and the mistake. But once again, that is not the comparison, the, the point of that comparison, the point was analog video interference, which 
you got less. So um, I just wanted to mention all of that stuff. Uh, and I also forgot to mention that I'm borrowing the Switch and we'll be sending it back to the company afterwards. There's always those trolls that, especially on social media, if I use my link shortener just to make it easier to post on, a, on something and they freak out, that was an affiliate link. You're supposed to disclose, burn them at the stake. Yeah, I forgot to disclose I'm borrowing the Switch and sending it back. So if... If that stuff matters to you, that's the answer to it. But I always show my work in these videos. So it doesn't really matter if I got a hundred of them for free. Uh, I proved how I did my testing. And if you think I did any tests wrong, let me know. But I've done quite a few of these. So I think these tests are pretty spot on. And most importantly, it's a good switch. Um, the only last thing I will add is if you're in Brazil, this is the one to buy. I think any of the other options, you're going to spend so much in import taxes that I think the other sellers would, would even agree with me on this one. I don't mean to put words in their mouth, but you don't want to spend as much money on the manual push button RGC switch and end up spending after import taxes as much as the game scare switch would be. So if you're in Brazil, definitely pick this one up. It's awesome. Everywhere else in the world, just look for the different uh, options, see what fits your needs best and pick that one. Tito from Macho Nacho Productions just posted a video showing how to upgrade your screen of your Steam Deck. And this was a pretty interesting video because the screen upgrade was 100 bucks and it hit resolutions up to 1200p and had an increased color accuracy of 87% versus the stock coverage of 67%. However, all of this is at a cost of frame rate. So, and a little bit of battery life as well. So this is kind of interesting. This is one of those things where you really need to decide what is more important for you. Do your games drop frames per second as you increase the resolution? Are you playing to the type of game that you really don't lose FPS if you play it at a higher resolution? All of those questions need to be answered. Now, of course, you could always run the screen at the original resolution of 800p, and then everything should be the same, the same exact uh FPS count, the same battery life. So this might be one of those things where if you cracked your screen and you need to replace it, you might think, well, I'll just upgrade to this one because worse comes to worse. I could just end up using it at the original resolution for games that require higher FPS. And then other other ones, I could just jack up the resolution. The only things to note, though, the only kind of real downsides of this is installing the custom BIOS that enables the screen to work properly is a pain. Uh, that's something that you definitely need to note. And if you're not familiar with a, a lot of the way that these processes work, it might just be too much. And also, will this BIOS continue to be supported as the Steam Deck gets older and older? So, you know, all stock screens, whatever firmware upgrade you get for it is going to be working no matter what. But when you add something like this that requires a custom BIOS, what if the company just moves on to another product? What if they go out of business or sell and whatever? Are you going to end up with a screen on your Steam Deck that you're stuck at an older BIOS revision? You can't update the Steam Deck. Nobody knows, really. Maybe that's not an issue at all. Maybe it will be. But those are the things that are worth mentioning. Tito covered everything else, well, all of this and everything else perfectly in the video. So I would strongly recommend watching it just to see what do you think of the BIOS update process? What do you think of the process of removing the screen itself? It does look like kind of a pain, not hard, just tedious. Uh, and of course, comparison shots of what they look like. Tito nails all of this, so definitely check out the video if you're interested. I just wanted to give kind of the short, short version because... Uh, maybe you're not so much into the Steam Deck. Maybe you don't own one yet, so you might have skipped this video. 
I don't think you should. I think you should watch it because if you end, if you're even considering getting one, especially maybe a used one with a broken screen, this should be considered a must watch. My Life in Gaming just posted a video showing off their favorite accessories that they use for different consoles in 2023. And everything in here is awesome. Um, some of the stuff I think came from some of my tests. So shout out to them. And no, I'm not saying My Life in Gaming stole my recommendation. I'm, I'm just saying it's really awesome that my fellow nerds and I could trade around recommendations and help each other, help point each other to cool stuff. But links to everything they talked about are here. So I would really... Um, and I know there's a there's actually a limitation of characters for YouTube videos. So I would suggest opening up this page on your cell phone, watching this video on your TV or what, however you like to watch YouTube. And that way you could just, anytime you see something that you're really into, you know, you have that link right there that brings you to whatever they were talking about. So um, awesome video, cool recommendations. Uh, and it's just nice to see how far the scene has come with the accessories because when My Life in Gaming and I first started out, the options were a heck of a lot less, and now there's just so much cool stuff. So if you're a maker who's building this stuff or maybe about to come out with something, keep going. We love seeing these things. Now it's time for this week's Mr. Updates, Care of Lou from Lou's Retro Source. As usual, I'm going to scroll through here and just kind of run through it and add my thoughts where I feel necessary. But if you want any more info on it, please check out Lou's video where he shows visual examples and has tons more info on this. First up, the N64 core that's being worked on received a ton of updates like dual texturing, uh, flash and controller pack saving, rumble, just tons of stuff, dithering. Robert's really been killing it, and it's so impressive seeing how far this core has come. So uh, the betas, I think, are available for supporters to try. I just think this is really cool because I never thought I'd see N64 on the Mr., so that's pretty neat. Also, the Ypsilon has updated the Mr. Downloader to version 1.8, and the notable features of this are checking for free space and getting notified if there isn't enough. So that's pretty cool. If your SD card is filling up, now you get to realize that before it starts to download more things. And there's also a 5 to 50% speed boost depending on your network connection, which is always appreciated. Whenever I was building Mysteries for Friends, that was usually one of the longest parts was just waiting for the updater. And I never complained because that updater does a lot of things that saves me a lot of time. But anytime you get a, a speed boost, that's always appreciated. Also, SRG320 posted some updates regarding the Saturn core. There were fixes to the SH2 processor and fixes to VDP2 as well. And the core is just coming along great. It's, um, uh, it's at a point where if you wanted to download and try it out, you just have to have some realistic expectations. It's still a beta core. You've got to find the Saturn BIOS, but I was impressed with what I saw. I also really want to try a dual RAM version. And I can't find my spare RAM stick. I don't know what the heck happened to it. If anybody's got an old 32 megabyte RAM stick they want to sell me, let me know. But uh, uh, hopefully I could swing back around and try the dual RAM version. But single RAM is definitely working if you want to try that out. Next up, Hotego has done some maintenance updates to OutRun and Super Hang-On that fixed the line down the middle of the road. And so that was very cool. I fired that up and played some OutRun, and it was just nice to see it. It was totally playable before, but it was just nice to see it without that little glitch. Also, the team fixed a bug in the Neo Geo Pocket Core, but that's still not ready for release, so still upcoming on that. They've also started work on the Namco System 1 board, as well, uh, which is the hardware that runs Splatterhouse, Pac-Mania, and a bunch more. 
Next up, Attract 17 announced the beta, a beta release for Ninja Kazan, which is part of the Jalico Mega System 1 core. And this is a platformer hack and slash game from 1998 that you could get just by enabling the coin op collection in the update all script. You probably should have enabled that anyway if you play arcade games, but if not, just go in and update it. Next up, Wizzo's NFC script is going to add the ability to write NFC tags straight from the mister, thanks to work from Sigbo. Wow, that's really cool. Uh, also, the Nuked MD Mega Drive core is now supported as well, including my fair card support. So that's really neat. I still haven't had time to play around with that, but I would love to do something like that where I could just wave my game over my mister to start it. Uh, Attract 17 also announced that thanks to work stemming from Caveman Ninja and Robocop 2, the arcade game Captain America and the Avengers will also be coming to FPGA platforms relatively soon. There's some more updates on the rotary st uh, stick as well, and Hotego even showed video of it working on certain cores, so that's pretty cool. I still haven't played that one game that allows you to use a, a stick to control it and then a rotary or spinner controller to shoot. I gotta kind of give that a try, but uh, that's pretty neat. Uh, so if you're interested in that kind of control scheme, I think Lou has some op or some footage of that in the video as well. Uh, also, Wizzo's NFC script added support for multiple commands per card, uh, which is making HTTP requests, pressing keyboard keys, and inserting player one and two coins. So you could see a cool demonstration of that in the post, uh, which is linked right here. Ultimate Mister is soon releasing its Ultimate Snack Multi-6 adapter for the Mister, and that allows you to use original controllers for the SNES, NES, Sega systems, and the Saturn. For NES and SNES, there's two ports for two-player gaming, but there's only one console for the Sega port. The product page is up. I think that's the beta that, that Ricardo sent to me a while back. He actually hasn't responded to me since then, so maybe I misrepresented his beta and he's mad at me or something, but I don't know. That did look like a very cool controller adapter, though, so I was pretty interested in trying that out. Maybe I'll just give that another try now. Also, Ultimate Mister is starting to make their own Mister Multisystems. This is... Uh, the open source project that was done by the Mr. Multisystem team who recently open sourced it a couple months ago now, I think. So anybody, as long as they follow the open source terms, is able to manufacture it. And I'm interested to see what other people come up with because Heber did a really good job on the quality of these things, both the case and the board. So I just hope that anybody else who's making these is committed to keeping up the same quality because that was such a huge selling point. Opening that up and seeing how nice of a build that was, that was that was pretty big for me. So I'm sure we're going to see more uh, sellers pop up selling these and let's just cross our fingers and hope that the quality is the same. As always, thanks so much to Lou for doing these. There's no chance that I could keep up with all this stuff by myself. So please don't forget to subscribe to Lou on YouTube as well. Next up, I want to talk about a couple of Famicom replacement boards from Retro Gamer Store. I recently did a live stream walking through all of this stuff in real time, but I'd really like to summarize it here. And even if this is a thing that you normally might not be interested in, there was some pretty big discoveries when I was testing this. So maybe stick around and pay attention. I'll try to do this in order of what might be the most relevant to you. So basically, there's three replacement boards with three boards that are available from Retro Gamer Store. An entire motherboard replacement, which respectfully most people probably aren't going to need. A rear power board replacement that also has the AV circuit on there, which I think basically everybody who uses a Famicom might need one of these things, as well as a composite video bypass. The rear board also has some awesome audio stuff on there too, so let's walk through all this stuff. The first is the composite bypass. 
It's eight bucks for this board. Um, I don't think it's anything new. I think it's similar to some of the other quality composite bypasses that are out there. There are some kind of ghetto ones where people just glued a capacitor to the side and put a wire to it. But this is a lot more than that. It's just a quick solder board, solder three pins. You just put the board between the pins on the PPU, and then you run the video out to the rear board could be a completely stock Famicom. You don't need any of the extra boards, but that made a huge difference in signal. I mean, absolutely massive difference. And in fact, it made a far bigger difference than any of the tests I did years ago of swapping around RAM chips and socketing the CPU and PPU. And it even made a difference with a different motherboard in there. This was the thing that just, this was the mod that fixed the composite video on this Famicom. And this is the Famicom that I used as every time I did an example of bad composite video, I would pull out this console and it's fixed for an $8 mod. So, and something that I think basically anybody could handle. If you're using completely stock boards, you're gonna have to replace a couple of, or remove a couple of components and route this. Um, if you're using the rear board, which I'll talk about in a second, you still need to replace one or two components on the motherboard, or I'm sorry, remove just to kill the original composite signal from flowing through, but this would work as well. So strongly recommend it for anybody that plans on using composite video because it just made a massive, massive difference. If you're watching on video, the compression's probably killing this, but that's the before and here's the after, which is as clean of a composite video signal as you could possibly ask for. So definitely recommend that. Now the rear board, I think most people would be interested in as well because it's got a ton of stuff. And we talked about this before. However, after a hands-on experience with it, I definitely want to just run through it again. First, the kit comes with two harnesses uh, that plug right into this board. One of them solders directly to the Famicom motherboard just to replace the original. It's pretty easy. And the next just goes to the power switch, also very easy. There are a couple of jumpers on here that you have to set. If you're going to be using an NES RGB connection, you don't set any of the rear jumpers, you just connect the wires to it. And there's some very easy vias to connect to. So you would just connect RGBS as well as composite video and ground from the NES RGB board and the, everything would route through pretty nicely. If you are using composite video, you just need to switch a jumper uh, between the normal style RF composite input. So the one just connected through the motherboard or if you wanna use the bypass that I just talked about. Then, you're going to want to decide how to get the output. Are you going to be using a 3.5 millimeter jack or a Genesis 2 style mini DIN? And there's a few factors. First of all, if you're only using composite video, then the next question should be, do you have one of the clear replacement tops or are you keeping your original Famicom top? If you're keeping your original, I would use a 3.5 millimeter connector. All you would have to do is solder the jumper there. Uh, this is just for people that want to use C-Sync over the composite video pin. To be honest, I think most people should just jump pins one and two on this one, but I'm very glad of the options here. And then drop another QSB right over, and that routes everything right into this one. And you should be able to get composite video and two audio channels, but it's still, you know, the stock setting is mono over both channels, and you're good to go. Now, if you're using the clear top 
or if you're getting RGB out, then you would use the mini DIN like I chose. I chose to use it uh, both because I thought it looked cool, but also because I have the Retro Game Restore clear top, so you don't need to cut it at all when you do that. So if that's the case, the only installation you need is to set the jumper to allow composite video to pass through it and put the mini DIN in, and that's it, about as easy as it gets. So that was pretty cool. Now, what you get from all of that, you get all of your signals routed through much easier than any other hand solder method. You have a jack for a new power board, uh, and you have the easy signals routed through. Now, there's two more things to talk about. First, you could add a USB-C power jack if you wanted, but I'm never a fan of that, and that has nothing to do with Retro Game Restore. That is my history in the medical field building computers and seeing what could go wrong with just the slightest change in power. So I still have PTSD from that 15 years ago, and I'm always very serious about power. So I just suggest using a triad power supply in the original, but if you want USB power, you could kind of walk down that road with Retro Game Restore's instructions on the website. The last thing to talk about with this rear board, though, is a toggle switch that fits in the same place that the RF jack used to sit in, the, you know, the channel switch, and it selects between dual mono, so it's just mono audio but through both channels to make it easier to route, or what Retro Game Restore is calling a 3D surround mode. And this is something I've been obsessed with since I first started separating the channels in NES to get a fake stereo effect. My very strong opinion over the years was that a slight separation, not one of the NES's channels in one ear and the other in the other ear, but just a slight separation created a weird sense of depth that I loved. And I kept pushing this issue. And even when uh, Famicom audio purists kind of poo-pooed this whole thing, I'm still standing by it. And I still think it's a great option with one problem you have to route the Famicom expansion audio through that as well, which causes tons of issues. This board does all of that for you, and all you have to do is toggle this switch, and it was absolutely awesome. If you want to hear uh, examples of this, I did a stream where I tested this full setup that I just did. I wanted to test Famicom 3D games. You could skip right past that. Obviously, I have timestamps, so you could skip to, I believe, the 46-minute mark and just hear the comparisons. And what I heard was that games that have crappy audio are still going to be crappy, but games that have good audio, I loved the effect. It had that slight separation of the two sound channels. It integrated the expansion audio perfectly. This is what I've been looking for for NES and Famicom Audio for 10 years now. So I was so impressed to the point where I would love to talk to Martin from Retro Game Restore and see if we could recreate what exactly what he did via FPGA, so on the Mister. So you could have this same, you know, RGR 3D surround effect if you're playing it on the Mister. I thought that was absolutely huge. Uh, and this is obviously subjective, so take a listen to the stream, see for yourself, maybe listen with headphones to make sure. Yeah, there's going to be some YouTube compression, but overall, you should get a pretty good sense of what it is uh, that this does and if you like it or not. If you don't like it, that's completely fine. I'd be willing to bet Ace hates it, and that's fine too. But <laughs> I just I wanted to talk about that because this is one board. You replace the power board and you get all of these options. Throw in an $8 composite video bypass if you're not using an NES RGB. You get a lot with this. I genuinely think that everybody who owns a Famicom should think about this. 
If you don't do it, that's totally fine too. But you need to know that this is an option because there are definitely people out there that are probably listening right now going, holy crap, this is the one that I was waiting for. There are other rear board replacements that have been out that are good, but none of them that I've tested at least do it like this. Now, the last thing to talk about, the replacement motherboard. Respectfully, you probably don't need this. If your Famicom motherboard is dead, if you broke it in a mod, if it's cracked, if uh, if you live in a place where there's lots of oxidation and it started to destroy the traces, if caps leaked out and destroyed it, if your board is dead, this thing is perfect. You have to swap the PPU and CPU in it. You also have to swap the controller jacks, but if for whatever reason you can't, if your jacks are damaged or something, you could just direct solder the pins right onto the motherboard. It's not as cool as having the jacks there, and it would make future mods a little harder, but whatever, it's there. And you do need to, at the moment at least, swap the reset button, although Retro Gamer Store, I think, is working on a replacement button for that as well. So if you have a dead motherboard, this is definitely a great option. If you have a lot of problems on your motherboard, a dead RAM chip, you need new caps, you know, uh, there's cracks in the board, just get this one instead. It's probably cheaper and less time consuming to fix it this way anyway. But generally speaking, if you're just like, do I recap my perfectly working original for longevity or do I get this? My suggestion is just recap the original and keep it. I don't think there is a need for this, but I love that it is an option. And I also love that it comes pre-populated with every component that's available. So everything except the things that I just mentioned. So you don't have to get this motherboard and then go to DigiKey and order a thousand components and hand solder all of them and hope you're doing it right. No, it just comes pre-populated. So I absolutely love that this is an option. And I love that there's a board with all brand new components on it. And you basically just need to find yourself a CPU and PPU. But unless yours is broken, or unless you really want to just build a from scratch Famicom, you can try to get the parts you need elsewhere, then, um, you know, this is a great option, but not for everybody. The only other thing is I still absolutely love that clear top if yours is yellowed or cracked, you're really going to want to consider this too. It's just gorgeous. If yours is in perfect condition, just keep it. Everybody loves the look of a stock console. The one thing that I did, uh, I don't have any links for yet are those clear controller shells that match perfectly. Those, I believe, are coming soon. Uh, those were prototypes that I had gotten. They look absolutely gorgeous. Check out the video at the beginning of the stream. And once those are available, I'll have like other hype footage that I'll post just to show everybody how cool they absolutely look. But those are the only things that are not available now. The only other thing to note, I use the RGB blaster to do that stream, which means that the RGB blaster is fully compatible with this new motherboard and everything else that I was doing. So um, that was a really awesome solution. I had composite out going to a consumer TV and then the RGB blaster out going to the Tink 4K. And I also had the stock uh, or the Retro Gamer Store audio going to the Tink 4K. So when I went to do the audio tests, I just audio bypassed to the front jacks. So I was able to take care of all of that stuff. So uh, I, I know I talked a lot about this one, but like I said at the beginning, I really think everybody that owns a Famicom should at least know about that rear board and the composite bypass, because I chased a fix for that composite signal for a long time. And uh, it's so cool that an $8 fix is what did it. Uh, so, you know, the live streams are there if you're into it. 
I strongly recommend checking out the one that's 3D games and stereo audio mod. You could skip past the 3D game section unless you're curious. The only There's a whole bunch of Space Harrier, bad Space Harrier clones. And then the Japanese version of Rad Racer actually looked really awesome with the 3D glasses. But that's one you could basically just skip over. The post has everything you need if you want to go back over it. Uh, and if you want to see somebody who's mediocre at modding, uh, do this in real time, then I have the stream up top. But honestly, that's a very long and very boring tech stream. And while I have fun hanging out with you all while I do them, uh, maybe just skim through that if you need to reference it or something. But uh, I think all the info you need is basically in the post. Before I go, I want to talk a little bit about the Mars FPGA project that's been going around on social media for a little bit. Uh, it stands for the Multi-Arcade and Retro System Project, and it's essentially the next step in the Mr. Project. What I mean by that is the Mr. Project started out by taking the DE10 Nano development kit board and then making hardware that wraps around that and kind of shoehorning that to work for retro gaming. It was a brilliant idea, and the Mr. Project would have never taken off if they didn't do it that way. So nothing but respect to the Mr. Team, nothing but respect to Sorg for coming up with this idea years ago to use this. However, there was one huge limitation with the DE10 Nano. Not all of the pins of the FPGA were available to use on this dev board. So that accounts for a lot of the tricks that you might have seen the Mr. Team come up with to work around those. So a group of people said, well, why don't we build something by gamers for gamers? So they took a much more powerful FPGA because, of course, it's going to be more powerful. You wouldn't spend as much time and money to do the same thing. But they took a more powerful FPGA and they built a board around it with gaming in mind. So no more additional boards needed. You're going to be able to get one thing that does everything. Now, besides that feature, because it's more powerful, it should be able to have all of the Mr. Cores ported over uh, basically all of them by launch day. But there's also going to be cores available that can't run on the chip that is on the DE10 Nano. The chip chips, I should say, on this one should be able to support a couple of very awesome options and allow for things that are not possible. They're aiming for a price point of $699, so obviously this is one of those you get what you pay, pay for scenarios. You want an awesome FPGA gaming system? Grab yourself a DE10, a RAM stick, and a USB hub, and you're done. I did that Mr. in 10 Minutes video, and for under $300, you're good to go. If you want all of these extra options and you want to do this, $699 isn't that much more expensive than a fully loaded Mr. with all of the options and all of the accessories. So this is actually something that should be considered. Now, with the team members, uh, the things that they're, the goals that they're going for, all of this is going to be announced soon. Over the next week, they're announcing team members and certain features, so please follow them on social media. They already announced one team member, Wizzo, at least at the time I recorded this, and showed off a gorgeous user interface. That's right, an FPGA-based system with a GUI. Who would have thought? It's not like anybody's ever asked for that before. But all stupid kidding aside, it looks awesome. And, you know, and I, obviously there's also going to be a standard list view available. Cracked me up when people were already complaining about that. But that's definitely the last thing I have to say about this project. And I know this is going to piss a lot of people off. Suck it up. There are already loser trolls going after the Mars project when it doesn't even exist yet. And I know so many people say, 
you should never feed the trolls. I'm going to unsubscribe when you talk about them. But the unfortunate truth is sometimes I have to talk about them. And this is the perfect example. When I joke around and tease the, uh, you know, the adult children who never got a job and never left their parents home and still basically live like a kid who sit online all day and troll people because they have no other life or family or hobbies, what I'm actually saying to you is not just making a joke, but I'm trying to say that what you see on social media, all of that negativity represents less than 1% of the entire Mr. and Analog fan base. So when I tease the Mr. Trolls before they even get a chance to, when I tease the Analog Trolls before they even get a chance to come at it, it's not just me taking shots at a bunch of losers that have nothing better to do. It's just trying to tell everybody else in a slightly silly way, these are not the voices of those communities. When you see this stuff, this is not the analog user base. This is not the Mr. User base. So I just want to drive that point home really hard that the people who have lives and jobs and hobbies and stuff don't have time to sit on social media all day and figure out what's trolling and what's real. So it's up to me sometimes to just politely remind everybody, hey, ignore the loud voices in the corner sitting by themselves. That's not the representation of those communities. The Mars Project could have never happened without Mr. No disrespect to any of those. That's obviously a huge compliment to everybody. It's going to be its own thing, and it deserves at least to be seen before you start throwing shade at something that you haven't doesn't even exist yet. It's not like they're showing stuff that's impossible. They're showing very realistic things that are already in the process of being worked on. So I just wanted to to draw my line in the sand and make it very clear. I'm so pumped for the Mars Project. I have... Because I'm pumped for the Mars Project doesn't mean I'm any less enthusiastic about Mr. or even the analog stuff. There's definitely a room for all room in the scene for all three. I'm so fired up to see what this team could do. And please, if you're even remotely interested in FPGA stuff, follow the Mars Project on social media, see the announcements that they're doing. And next week, I'll follow up with a 100% positive spin on all of the announcements that the Mars Project has made from now until then. I just uh, needed to draw my line in the sand here and, and cut the trolls off before they continue to spread more toxicity because... That's not who the Mr. People are. That's not who the analog fans are. That's just some trolls. So let's all just give the Mars Project a shot. If you've seen what I've seen, you'd be you'd probably understand why I'm so enthusiastic about it. But you'll all see it soon. Follow them on social media and we'll go from there. Well, that's it for this time. As always, thanks to everybody who watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments, and especially thank you to anybody who supports in any way, because it's you who's keeping all this going. So thank you so much, and I'll see you next week.